Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Okay, folks, normally I have a longer time to play the opening song, but I believe our special guest on tonight, the Constitution Party's presidential candidate, Mr. Good, is uh, waiting on the line, I believe, and so I know his time is limited. He's a very busy man running for the presidency of the United States, and without uh, further ado, I will leave, bring him in. Yes, is this Mr. Good calling in? Yes. Yes, Great. sir. Um, yes, is this uh, Robert? Yes, it is. Thank you very much uh, for calling in to Bard's Logic. How are you tonight? Honored to be with you. Great, and, and we are honored as well, sir. And uh, who we have here tonight on the line that is going to be asking uh, the questions tonight on the panel as well as uh, some follow-up, uh, we have Rex Christie. And we also have uh, the member, Chris, who I know some of the folks from uh, your Idaho Constitution Party are familiar with. And we also have Kelly Mordecai here as well. Hey. And so, everyone, uh, I'd like to say hello to uh, Mr. Good. Uh, go ahead. Hello, Mr. Good. Rex? This is, yeah, g- g- hello, Mr. Good. This is uh, Rex. Uh, I, uh, also live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I'm looking forward to learning more about your positions and uh, seeing uh, how we can uh, find out what kind of president you will be. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Rex. Where do you live in Virginia? Uh, Well, I don't really live in Virginia. I live in northern Virginia, which is more like greater Washington, D.C., unfortunately. Is it Arlington or Alexandria? Or, or? I, I'm I'm in uh, I'm in Fairfax, Western Fairfax, right near okay. the uh, the Manassas battlefield. Oh, all right. Well, that's a pretty area, and that's uh, that certainly has grown though in the last few years. Yes, it has. Okay, Chris, uh, if you'd like to uh, say hello and introduce yourself to you Mr. Good. Sir, I am so honored to meet you. I've been working uh, a lot with you guys, you know, Floyd and Paul from the uh, Idaho area. They got hooked up to us uh, through Facebook, and we've started a good conversation. And you have great people in your organization, and they have really done an incredible job to help us learn about the Constitutional Party and answer our questions. And it's been a, an honor to work with them. And and they've really, um, you know, put this together and to bring you on. Uh, I'm very excited about this, and I appreciate it very much. Well, <clears throat> they are doing a great job, and uh, they were co-hosts for the National Executive Constitution Party Committee in um, 2011 and did a wonderful job at Coeur d'Alene. Awesome. 
Okay, go ahead. I just wanted to give a, a pause just in case I, I hate to interrupt anyone. And Kelly, go ahead if you'd like to uh, have some introduction, and then we'll move forward. Well, thank you, Mr. Good. It's an honor to talk to you. I'm from the uh, once great state of California, and uh, real simply, any any friend of the Constitution is a friend of mine, especially on the Constitution's birthday. Well, this the seventeenth is it. So uh, that um, is something very nice for us to uh, recognize today. Yes, yes and sir. today is Constitution Day. And what, one thing for logistics purposes of people who could refrain from, who are, are listening in, if your mic is open, having the uh, speakers on, uh, that would be much appreciated. I don't think that is the case uh, with anyone here, but just as a disclaimer for other folks uh, who, who may call in later. So go ahead, gentlemen. Okay. All right. What's, what we've got here is, you know, just to get a, a start, is I see that you have started politics since the age of 27 years old, uh, if you can uh, tell the audience to give uh, some background on why you got into politics at that age, um, that'd be great. Well, I'd been interested in politics and and took political science in college, and the gentleman that was in the state senate died, and uh, the uh, members of the House of Delegates from the area, none of them wanted to run, so it was a wide open opportunity and uh and I ran for it. <laughs> and won. <laughs> Great. Right. Now we have here that you switched parties from Democrat to independent and then to Republican to the Constitution uh Constitution Party. Uh can we go through the the line of, of reasoning on the switches? Sure. Well, when I first ran for state senate, I ran as an independent because the deadline uh, uh, for getting uh, – when I ran in 1973, the Democratic Party was a conservative party, and the Democrats in the district didn't – they were split up. Some were for me, some were for a couple other people. And uh, so I ran as an independent and then joined the Democratic caucus, but I would – point out that the Democrats were the conservative party in Virginia. Um, the remnants of the Byrd machine controlled the General Assembly even at that time. And, uh, uh, and um, Harry Byrd Jr. was in the uh, U.S. Senate. And at that time, he was an independent and served as an independent until 1982. Uh, and then was in the state Senate as independent, and then ran as a conservative Democrat for Congress, was in the Blue Dogs group. And uh, then in 98, I voted, or well, yeah, 98, after the election, voted to impeach Clinton. And that mm -hmm. really made the Dems mad because they said, you're not voting with us on most of our issues, and now you've you won't even stick by the party when it's something like this. And uh, so uh, a lot of the Democrats wanted me to get out, and uh, which uh, it was kind of mutual. that the Congress was 
much more liberal conservatives in the state legislature. The big focus in the state legislature was your district. And I had a a consistent pro-life voting record, a strong Second Amendment, was uh, sponsored the legislation to provide for concealed carry in Virginia. And so uh, uh, ran for Congress, uh, conservative, uh, won, and then after the impeachment fight, ran as an independent, got elected, and then before the 2002 election announced that I would run as a Republican. And I needed to be a Republican in order to advance on the Appropriations Committee or any committee because they listed independents at the end of the committee, and you'd never go anywhere if you were an independent. So uh, I I ran as a Republican and was listed as a Republican, then lost in uh, 2008, was in state Senate 23 years, and the U.S. House 12 years. Okay, yeah, I understand one of the key words that uh, that I've heard to you was conservative, and and that's definitely something um, that that a lot of the – folks are looking for in a, a presidential candidate, and that's why, in my opinion, a lot of them are here. And so now that brings you to the Constitution Party, and if you could tell us uh, you know, a little bit about that, you know, you're moving to the well, Constitution Party. Yeah, the Constitution Party invited me to attend that 2008 national convention, but we were in session when the convention was held. It was in uh, late January, as I recall. And I couldn't go, so they extended an invitation in in 2009 for me to come to a national committee meeting, and I did. And then uh, in 2010, I've always been a big focus on uh, stopping illegal immigration and reducing legal immigration. And the uh, Constitution Party National Committee adopted a resolution in support of Arizona, and of course, neither the Democratic National Committee or the Republican National Committee wanted to touch that. Right. So, uh, uh, and uh, and I, I I liked that, and then uh, I was then I joined the Constitution Party's National Committee, and have and have been to right many of their meetings since then. And now you're in the position where you are running for the presidency of the United States. And initially, uh, I'd like to ask, uh, if you were indeed, the American people were to hire you as the president in January, what would be the top three to five actions that you would initially execute? Well, I would submit a balanced budget to uh, Congress. That would uh, cause a lot of pain. Uh, we're never going to get the deficit. We, we, as long as we continue to have deficits, the debt's going to grow. And I would point out that Obama's budget this time was <clears throat> about a trillion two in deficit, and Paul Ryan's Republican budget was over six hundred billion. And uh, we just you well, can't keep going down that road. And I'm not a, I'm not one in favor of increasing. The top tax rate, the top tax rate really for some people is almost 50% now, depending on which state you live in. So I'm I'm not for that like Obama's for. And uh, 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 
and that would be the uh, first thing, and then repeal uh, unconstitutional executive orders, including the one that tried to be a temporary DREAM Act. I think that exceeded constitutional authority. And third, uh, follow the Constitution on being involved in uh, uh, conflicts overseas. We should not have gone to Libya unless Congress made a declaration. And if Congress doesn't make a declaration within a month or two uh, after I'm elected president, we're going to be home from uh, Afghanistan ASAP. So those are the Amen. top three. Those would be, okay, great. Well, I well, really appreciate that. And uh, we know your time is, is, is very valuable, and so uh, we want to get as, as much in, of course, as possible. So what I'd like to do at this time is turn some questions over to Rex uh, that he's got for you, and uh, we'll move on from there. And if Kelly or uh, Chris has some follow-up, um, we'll, we'll do that. So, Rex, uh, I open up the floor to you, and uh, thank you uh, very much, Mr. Good. And go ahead, Rex. Uh, Mr. Goode, um, this yes, this show's audience is was predominantly working uh, for a, a brokered convention within the Republican Party for Newt Gingrich and Ron Paul. So we both we have both traditional conservatives and libertarian conservatives who <clears throat> are looking for a candidate after what the Republicans managed to pull off in in Tampa, which is is disgraceful in my opinion. So I'm going to ask these questions based on what we've uh, heard from our audience, uh, which are made up of Newt Gingrich and Ron Paul supporters predominantly. Uh, I'm going to kind of give uh, relatively broad uh, questions and let you answer them, and then if uh, if uh, Chris uh, or Kelly feel that something needs to be fine-tuned, they'll, they'll do a follow-up. And the okay. first one is going to be about uh, what's pretty much on everybody's mind and what actually helped uh, – uh, elect Governor McDonald here in the Commonwealth is jobs. And being that unemployment is over 8% and has been for pretty much all of uh, Obama's uh, tenure, uh, and in reality it's probably closer to 20%, what would you do to create the environment for private business growth and job creation? Well, several things. First thing, I would want to see Obamacare repealed. Obamacare, because of the regulations and the possible financial impact on many small businesses, uh, they are reluctant to hire, to expand. Uh, they'll keep what they've got, but they're not going to go out and hire anyone right now with that hanging over their heads. And that I'm not saying that's true with every small business, but it's true with a lot of them. Second thing is, and neither Obama nor Romney are for this, we have every year about 1.2 million green cards issued. This gives a person the right to uh, uh, work anywhere in the United States uh, and do just about any job. Of that 1.2 million, about three-fourths, probably a little more, are working-age persons that take jobs from U.S. citizens. I'm advocating, and I've advocated this long before running for president, that we should have a moratorium, nearly complete, uh, perhaps a fiancé visa exception, uh, or if there was truly someone that 
did something so special that no one in the United States did it, could let them in, but not have a moratorium on green cards until unemployment is under 5%. Uh, coupled with that, you really got to stop all illegal immigration. I know, uh, like in Halifax County, Virginia, um, UK, uh, most of the roofers, according to what they tell me, the roofing jobs are done by illegals now. Now, I, I haven't, you know, searched out, and they wouldn't tell me the person's doing the roofing, whether they're illegal or not. But that's what the long-term roofers say. And uh, so I would uh, end Obamacare and have a moratorium on green card admissions in the United States near complete until unemployment's under 5%. I think that would be... Uh, a significant uh, positive. And I'm also one of these that's not for all the free trade agreements. I was opposed to NAFTA. I was in the state Senate then, opposed NAFTA, opposed CAFTA, opposed PNTR with China, MFN. It was subsequently changed to permanent normal trade relations, PNTR. Uh, so much of the trade agreements uh, really aren't about uh, free trade, it's who's the winner and the loser in the exchange and the agreements, and uh, U.S. manufacturing is frequently on the chop block. I know that they did a trade agreement with Pakistan when I was in Congress, and the trade agreement uh, was to uh, bolster Pakistan, and they just uh, sold a lot of the textiles down the river to do that. And so your belief that free trade would be available to us if it wasn't managed by NAFTA and these, these bills, and, and you think that that would help us restore a manufacturing Yeah, we uh, have faith. more manufacturing jobs, yes. Okay. Well, I, I tend to agree with that. But then uh, I think you brought up a valid point regarding immigration, so I, I'm going to segue over to a more immigration question in a broader sense. Um, our southern border is porous, which poses a national security, environmental, social, and economic problems. Um, you touched on that briefly, but could you expand a little bit more on how, how you view these issues and what some of the solutions would be on immigration more broadly than just in jobs? Absolutely. On, uh, I was in the first to propose a fence along the southern border. I still support that. Uh, it needs to be the right kind of fence. You need one like the fence that exists between San Diego and Tijuana. You have a big barrier in the middle, then you have a road on each side, and then the fence on the outside of each road, and that, it's very difficult to cross. It has been tunneled under a few times It's in San Diego, but it really reduced the amount of uh, illegal entry into the United States. I also favor allowing troops to perform the civil function of border security by uh, changing the posse comitatus law. The National Guard and any troops that are down there now can't, they can't arrest, they can't go out and uh, detain. Uh, their, uh, their functions are limited because of the doctrine of posse comitatus, which is uh, the military cannot do a civil function unless a state of national emergency is declared. And uh, so I, 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 I favor 
in that one instance, allowing uh, troops to train along the border and to do more than look through field glasses. Let them go yeah. out and uh, participate with the border uh, patrol. Another area in illegal immigration that we need to change, and which I worked hard for, and which we had a hundred co-sponsors for, was to end automatic birthright citizenship. And you don't hear Romney talking about this, and you don't hear uh, Obama. He, I'm sure he's opposed. Uh, when you come to this country illegally and have a child, that child should not be an automatic citizen. Uh, that's that's the current situation, and I, that can be changed, in my view, by statute. You don't need a constitutional amendment. Uh, I, also, the the law says that illegals aren't supposed to get Medicaid, uh, social services, food stamps, public housing. Reality is, though, the things that they check for, a lot of them just slide by because they don't ask for birth certificate. They don't ask for a naturalization certificate. They don't ask to see your legal re- the papers that give you legal residence. I don't think anyone should be allowed, and now this is more of a state law than a federal law because I'm not for, uh, for having the federal government running the Department of Education and be involved so with secondary education. Um, you shouldn't be able to get into the school system unless you produce your birth certificate or a uh, naturalization certificate or your legal residence papers. Uh, I had to get a birth certificate for my daughter, and I think uh, that should be standard operating procedure. That would eliminate the clamor for the DREAM Act. Uh, This year, according to the proponents of... uh, helping the illegals in the school system, that 64,000 seniors were, quote, undocumented, unquote, upon graduation from high school this year. Well, at $10,000 a student per year, that's costing the taxpayers of the United States, mostly citizens, $640 million a year. Huge negative impact on uh, education, huge negative impact on the cost of corrections, and, Mr. Uh, Good, uh, yes, yeah, Mr. Good, I, I appreciate the answer, but since we don't have much time, I don't want to spend too much time on immigration. All right, right. One... I, I was going too long, and I've got—I mean, I can go on and on. on uh, I know, <laughs> I know, and I could listen to you uh, talk about these things forever, but <clears throat> for the sake of the audience yeah, we and the brevity of time, right. uh, I—I have one quick follow-up question, then I believe uh, right. uh, uh, Chris does. But my—you uh, you mentioned a few things which I agree with, but I—I I think that some of our listeners would want. Uh, concerns belayed over, you know, m- revisions to posse comitatus given the uh, – and, of course, checking people's documents, although I think illegals uh, don't have the same rights and provisions that we do. But um, both – Well, folks, uh, you can hear the rest of that interview on our archives. Uh, it's still stating that uh, folks cannot call in, uh, but apparently I was able to, and I see people on the line as well. So I believe. Hello, folks. Sorry about that pause. Um, yeah, you can hear the rest of that interview. Oh, that's why.
Hello, folks. I'm going to try. Okay, folks. I can't. I can't stay. I can't stay logged in. So I'm going to replay uh, that interview because it would not allow me to stay in. It's just going to keep getting uh, unplugged. So, so that I believe is the uh, volume. Yes. Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see. Okay, folks, normally I have a longer time to play the opening song, but I believe our special guest on tonight, the Constitution Party's presidential candidate, Mr. Good, is uh, waiting on the line, I believe, and so I know his time is limited. He's a very busy man running for the presidency of the United States, and without uh, further ado, I will leave, bring him in. Yes, is this Mr. Good calling in? Yes, Great. sir. Um, yes, is this uh, Robert? Yes, it is. Thank you very much uh, for calling in to Bard's Logic. How are you tonight? Honored to be with you. Great, and, and we are honored as well, sir. And uh, who we have here tonight on the line that is going to be asking uh, the questions tonight on the panel as well as uh, some follow-up, uh, we have Rex Christie. And we also have uh, the member, Chris, who I know some of the folks from uh, your Idaho Constitution Party are familiar with. And we also have Kelly Mordecai here as well. Hey. And so, everyone, uh, I'd like to say hello to uh, Mr. Good. Uh, go ahead. Hello, Mr. Good. Rex? This is, yeah, hello, Mr. Good. This is uh, Rex. Uh, I... Uh, also live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I'm looking forward to learning more about your positions and uh, seeing uh, how we can uh, find out what kind of president you will be. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Rex. Where do you live in Virginia? Uh, Well, I don't really live in Virginia. I live in northern Virginia, which is more like greater Washington, D.C., unfortunately. Is it Arlington or Alexandria? Or, or I, I'm I'm in uh, I'm in Fairfax, Western Fairfax, right near okay. the uh, the Manassas battlefield. Oh, all right. Well, that's a pretty area, and that's uh, that certainly has grown though in the last few years. Yes, it has. Okay, Chris, uh, if you'd like to uh, say hello and introduce yourself to you Mr. Good. Sir, I am so honored to meet you. I've been working uh, a lot with you guys, you know, Floyd and Paul from the uh, Idaho area. They got hooked up to us uh, through Facebook, and we've started a good conversation. And you have great people in your organization, and they have really done an incredible job to help us learn about the Constitutional Party and answer our questions. And it's been an honor to work with them. And and they've really, um, you know, put this together and to bring you on. 
Okay, folks, I am experimenting with something. I've got the volume down of an audio, uh, of the audio I'm playing, and it's still allowing me to stay called in. Uh, so I do see some callers, though. So if you could push the one in the number dial, I'll see about getting you in, and we can see if we can actually uh, have a conversation. Maybe I have to have it where the uh, the volume's down on an audio uh, while I'm talking, trying to play uh yeah, see what, see what we could do with in a little experiment here. See if I could get that to work. Sometimes you gotta kind of experiment and try things out, see if they work. So let me uh, see if I can get somebody in. Um, bear with me for with uh, I bring that in the audio and then try to bring somebody in on the Constitution's birthday. Well, this the seventeenth is it. So uh, that. Um, is something very nice for us to uh, recognize today. Yes, yes sir. today is Constitution Day. And what, one thing for logistics purposes of people who could refrain from, who are, are listening in, if your mic is open, having the uh, speakers on, uh, that would be much appreciated. I don't think that is the case uh, with anyone here, but just as a disclaimer for other folks uh, who, who may call in later. So go ahead, gentlemen. Okay. Well, all right. What's, what we've got here is, you know, just to get a, a start, is I see that you have started politics since the age of 27 years old. Uh, if you can uh, tell the audience to give uh, some background on why you got into politics at that age, um, that'd be great. Well, I'd been interested in politics and and took political science in college, and the gentleman that was in the state senate died, and uh, the, uh, the members of the House of Delegates from the area, none of them wanted to run. So it was a wide-open opportunity, and uh, and I ran for it. <laughs> and won. <laughs> great, great. Now, we have here well, that... You switched parties from Democrat to Independent and then to Republican to the Constitution Party. Uh, can we go through the, the line of, of reasoning on the switches? Sure. Between the parties. Well, when I first ran for state Senate, I ran as Independent because the deadline uh, uh, for getting uh, – when I ran in 1973, the Democratic Party was the conservative party. And the okay, I'm going to try to get somebody in. It, keeps, it, it does periodically have me go out, but let's see what we can do here. I'm trying to get somebody in to the show. Hello, uh, Suzette? Yes, Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. I don't know how long it's going to let you be called in. Every once in a while, it keeps uh, backing out, so <laughs> we could try to experiment. I've heard on other shows I've tried to get in, they're able to. Um, I don't know. As long, maybe as long as I had that audio, but I have the audio on really low, so we can't really hear it. But I do see where periodically it does turn my mic off. So I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to keep on going or, or what. Uh, but I was able to get in, and, and now I'm able to get you, and we'll see if it, how long it allows us to to get on before it interrupts us. 
I don't know if I'm going to do a full three hours. It's already midnight, um, but we might just uh, shortly discuss the topic for tonight, um, at least for the, la- the hour. I'm, I've been trying for a while to try to get this going, but who, who knows uh, how long we'll be able to get get folks on. Okay. So we're we're we're, we're trying in here. <laughs> so you said earlier in our in, in, in our texting back and forth that you were listening to uh, some quote-unquote so-called progressive shows. Uh, what are they saying with the recent happenings, uh, with what's going on? Um, you know, they're still talking about, you know, the impeachment inquiry, and they're also talking about the, um, you know, of course, the, the whole thing with uh, Ukraine. I mean, what, what are they saying? I mean, I've been on Twitter a lot, and you've got Kamala Harris and Adam Schiff and, you know, uh, you know those two mainly uh, who are mm-hmm. her making posts on Twitter. But then, you know, actually, they're actually getting a lot of backlash on, uh, you know, and, and the one of the forums. Um, they're getting a lot of a lot of backlash uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter on their Twitter feed. Um, Kabbalah Harris forces than Adam Schiff. But what have you been hearing? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I've listened to three shows, and the general consensus there was one that was saying that he'll wiggle out of this one, too, because of, you know, his corrupt administration and yada, yada. But the other two were saying that um, it's just the Democrats. They're looking for something, and it'll be just like the Rushgate. Nothing will come of it, Um, you know, and they don't know why they're wasting their time doing that as far as the investigations and everything. So, I don't know. It was uh, interesting. And... Quite honestly, the last one before I came to your show, um, the woman was saying that um, she didn't think that Trump was all that bad, and she was asking me what I thought of his chance of getting elected again in 2020. Um, her preference, personal preference, um, as of right now, is Marianne um, Williams, as far as her vote. But um, you know, as far as Trump goes, she says there's just something in the media every day. <laughs> And, you know, it's getting tiring. So I'm guessing that she's on the side of not so much that he's a bad president or doesn't like him, even though she's progressive, but more so in the sense of get him out of there because it's just going to keep going like this as far as every day. But see, you. Uh, and, and see, I, I, th- I know I, I agree with what you're hearing because I've been thinking about that myself, actually, is that. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of them are like that. I think a lot of I think that's a part of their of their plan, a part of their ploy, I should say, is that get people so disgusted, you know, by what's going on and how nothing really is being taken care of that people say, you know what, my God, if we vote for Trump, this is going to be another four years of this stuff. I don't really want mm-hmm. that. I don't want that to happen anymore. So let's go ahead and vote for the Democrat, so we don't have to deal with this crap anymore, no matter how bad that Democrat could be. Mhm. Yeah. I think that very might be what a part of their ploy is to say, well, we'll get people so you know we'll either if we we'll get them out one way or another. You know, one is you know, but 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 we'll get people so sick and tired of hearing all this stuff that they'll just vote for us just because they don't want to have to deal with it anymore. Which that is a disgusting that is a disgusting tactic uh, to use mm-hmm. that. But uh, yeah, I could see where they I could see where they could try to convince people about that. And I would not mm-hmm. be surprised if you see that as part of their. You know, whoever the nominee is, I could see that being part of their 
commercial. Are you t- not that I'm trying to make commercials for the liberals, but are you tired of all the you know talk about corruption? Are you talking vote for me? I'm not, it, 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 you know, I, I can see yeah. them using that as a ploy to do that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's have change. Let's get back on track. Let's you know. Let's stop with all the investigations and all of that. If you want to continue with mm-hmm. that, keep voting Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I was actually, yeah, I was up thinking about that, that, that actually early today. But now people start realizing, you know, what what these people really are. I mean, they are the corruption, and and that's yeah. why they're coming up against Trump because that that's one of the things he said he wanted to do. He said he mm-hmm. wanted to, uh, you know, he wanted to end corruption and drain the uh, swamp, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, but you got all these people here who are, um, you know, who are corrupt. He's trying to he's trying to expose them, him and his justice department, and mm-hmm. you know they're, they're they're not liking it. And so that's I think that's a big in part uh, uh, for that. Well, yeah, they're the ones creating all the alarms, you know. And so for people to say they're just tired of all of this, well, it's your party that's doing it, <laughs> right? And, yeah, it gets very tiring. I saw Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton on The View this morning. Um, They wrote a book together. On The View? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like to watch shows that give a different perspective on things, you know, to see just what they're saying. So, And The View is a pretty good show to chime in for, (laughs) to learn what they're talking about, what they're thinking, and and how that show is influencing uh, thought, you know, in America. But, uh, yeah, so she had the gall, Hillary Clinton, that is, to say that, um, well, she calls his president illegitimate and that uh, he has a habit of projecting. I didn't even know what projecting was until I was saying, telling a friend of mine that he is accusing other people of what she's doing. And she told me that was projecting. So, uh, and then they all laughed, ah, ha, 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 you know. <laughs> like, really? Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. That's something else. She says, and he probably doesn't even know he's actually doing it. He just does it, you know, and it's like, oh, right. Yeah, I, I, I should try to call into some of those those liberal shows, and, uh, boy, that that would be interesting. Now, here's one thing. And this is from uh, Breitbart, you know, kind of, you know, linking the deep state here um, with the so-called whistleblower. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've gotten, of course, like, you know, these articles are on the, the Bar's Logic Flukstuck website uh, on the newsroom tip page. But uh, it has UK mystery shift staffer made August visit for think tank backed by Hunter Biden's own employer. So a staffer for Representative Adam Schiff. House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence took a trip to Ukraine last month, sponsored and organized by the Atlantic Council Think Tank. The Atlantic Council is funded uh, by and routinely works in partnership with Verisma, the natural gas company at the center of allegations regarding Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden. The shift staffer, Thomas Eager, is also currently one of 19 fellows at the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Congressional Fellowship, a bipartisan program that says it educates congressional staff on current events in the Eurasia region. Eager's trip to Ukraine last month was part of the fellowship program and included nine other House employees. 
The bipartisan visit from August 24th to August 31st was billed as a Ukraine, quote, study trip and culminated in a meeting with former president or Ukrainian president Petro Boroshenko. Uh, the dates of the pre-planned trip are, in, are instructive. Eager's visit to Ukraine, sponsored by the Burisma-funded Atlanta Council, began 12 days after the so-called whistleblower officially filed his August 12th complaint about President Donald Trump's phone call with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Schiff's House Intelligence Committee reportedly reached a tentative agreement in recent days for the so-called whistleblower to testify. The complaint surrounds Trump's request for Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we know what that is. And so basically you can read the rest on there, um, you know, on that part. It says, Eager did not immediately return bright type, but it says like it did. Um, it says, besides funding from Burisma, the Atlantic Council is also financed by Google Capital, billionaire activist George Soros, and Open Societies Foundations. Uh, as well as the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, Inc., and the U.S. State Department. Um, It says, as Breitbart News reported last week, Google Soros Open Society Foundation, the Rockefeller Fund, and an agency of the State Department each also financed a self-described investigative journalism organization repeatedly referenced as a source of information in the so-called whistleblower's complaint alleging Trump was using the power of his office to solicit something from a foreign country in the 2020 race. It says Schiff's signature appears on the request post-travel disclosure form filed with the House Committee on Ethics documenting the visit to Ukraine. The form signed by Schiff says that uh, Eager's trip to Ukraine was paid for by the Atlantic Council Eurasian Center. Uh, The form bearing uh, Schiff's signature describes the visit thusly. Says series of meetings and visits with government officials, party officials, civil societies, and private sector reps in Ukraine to learn about ongoing political and military issues, including the conflict in the East. And then also uh, here uh, it goes down and talks about uh, some other people. It says McCain advisor and dossier. The Atlantic Council of Gonzalez is also one of the 11 members of the rapid response team for the Ukrainian election task force, which says, you know, so basically you, you can see where Burisma, the Atlantic Council, uh, you know, people linked with Adam Schiff, you know, they're all in on it. I mean, you could, you could see where this is, a, you know, a setup. You know, this this has been a setup, um, you know, to, 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 again, to try to get Trump. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot bigger than people think, you know, and, and I think that's why the Democrats are panicking so much because it's not so much that they want to get Biden out, dropped out of the race, but because they'll right. be exposed as well because these people are all intertwined together, either married to someone or connected to a job or, you know, some type of um, political position in their country in Ukraine or here in the United States somehow. Yeah, it's just a big intertwined mess. And you know what? They didn't count on, of course, as we've said before, that Donald Trump would win the presidency. And uh, so he wasn't worried too much about, you know, being discovered, uh, Joe Biden, and, because they figured Hillary would win and they would just continue on their little corrupt ways and keep, you know, business as usual, but she didn't. So I, my question is, 
why in the world would he throw his hat into the ring for the office of presidency? Didn't he ever consider that any of this would ever come out? <laughs> to Biden? Of course not. And the other Dems, you know, the other Dems as well that are involved, because he knows that they're all, all, a good portion of them anyway, establishment, um, have their hand in it. I'm sure they've been, you know, filling up their bank, bank accounts uh, through that deal as well. Well, and also, uh, you know, here's an article, and I know we're trying to go on, uh, you know, rapid fire with the article, you know, but of course the the, the limited time, you know, just trying to get things as much as I, you know, can because I probably won't go much past the normal 1 a.m. Eastern time uh, for tonight's show, but um, and maybe we'll, you know, do this more. I'm just glad we're able to get something, uh, you know, something accomplished there. Um, but um, <clears throat> I have here. You know, it says attorney for anti-Trump whistleblower worked for Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer. Now, this is an article from September 24th. It says the anonymous person who filed a formal uncorroborated complaint against President Donald Trump for alleging, allegedly asking a foreign leader to investigate corruption related to Joe Biden ha- uh, now has a legal team that includes Democratic operative who worked – who worked, I should say um, – for Senator Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton. Andrew Bakage, uh, now a managing partner at the Compass Rose Legal Group, interned for Schumer in the spring of 2001 and for Clinton in the fall of the same year, according to Bakage's LinkedIn page. More recently, Bakage has worked as an official in the, U- in the CIA and Pentagon and specializes in whistleblower and security clearances in its legal practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, Bakaj's anonymous client has filed complaint based on rumors accusing Trump of requesting the Ukraine president Vladimir Zelensky investigate 2020 Democrat frontrunner and former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter for their business dealings with a Ukrainian energy company. The intelligence inspector general decided the complaint is credible, quote, and urgent, but officials of the Department of National Intelligence say otherwise due to the lack of evidence un- um, undergirding the complaint and have refused to release it to Congress. The anonymous whistleblower has also admitted to not having firsthand knowledge of the conversation. We all, we all know that. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there is another again another uh, rapid fire. But there is someone. And now I know a lot. Of the, I I find it interesting that they're using people who interned with them, and that's you know. So basically, it's not someone who you know if they just interned for them. They're not good to. Uh, now these are high level internships, I'm sure. You know, being with these people, but yeah, I know they're using low level people who've worked with them the, before. Uh, to do their dirty work because these are people who, in my opinion, are those kind of people who would fall under the radar. You know, they're not well right. known. You know, they're not like you know a major staffer, or they're not someone who was a you know, you know, someone like uh, 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 chief of staff or something like of that nature. Of them, they're, they're these underlings that you know mm-hmm. are, are low profile that I think they can use to do their, are you know, are using to do to, to do their dirty work. Well, I can right. get that out. Useful idiots is what I would call them, and the fall guys, you know, as far as um, they're expendable. You know. Oh yeah, certainly. Awesome. Yeah, these these people could certainly take the fall. That certainly. Yep. That, my question is, why is Hillary poking her head out? I mean, sure, okay, her and Chelsea wrote a book. What are the odds? I mean, <laughs> this book has been in the works, or is this something they just whipped up 
so they could start making public appearances again. Um, I don't know. Is it a distraction? I just it's weird because she's tied into all of this mess as well. So why is she it's just the timing of her book with all of this um going on. And she was hardcore tied into the Ukraine as well. Not the Ukraine, but Ukraine. <laughs> I keep saying that. Anyway, um so what do you think about that as far as Hillary goes? Well, Hillary, I mean, Hillary coming out, I think she's just trying to be relevant. I mean, it's not like she's ever going to be president. I think she's going to try anything she can to try to be, um, you know, in the spotlight and, and try to stick at the Trump because he defeated her. And she's trying to think of more reasons, more excuses to uh, to be, uh, you know, uh, to, you know, to be – you know, to, to, to poke them. And I uh, see uh, right. Season Chagrin and uh, Random Brain Activity uh, uh, join there in the chat, and I want to thank you for uh, for joining with us. And you're welcome to give us a call uh, at 347-945-7428 if you'd like to chime in. Uh, just push the one on your number dial, and I'll try to get you in. I know there are some difficulties tonight uh, getting folks in, uh, but certainly you're welcome to uh, to come in if you like uh, to to join. And so, anyway, and you know, again, you know, you know, rapid fire with the with the articles that you know, again, you find in the Bard's Logic Fluke Talk website on the newsroom page. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, more connections. I mean, we got you know Chuck Schumer, uh, Hillary Clinton, Adam Schiff, of course, and, and where they're going now. As to uh, you know, we have another one who now some again rapid fires. Uh, some are even thinking that maybe John Bolton is behind the whistleblower. Uh, and now this is from um, Wayne Dupree. He's also a talk show host. He also, you know, apparently has a website and article, uh, things like that. But, you know, his speculation, you know, on that mm. is it says insiders are whispering that the, quote, mastermind behind the political hit job against President Trump is none other than bitter warmonger John Bolton. Says there are some DC DC whispers going on that are raising a great deal of concern during the whistleblower charade. Insiders are whispering that the mastermind behind quote unquote behind the political hit job against President Trump is none other than bitter warmonger John Bolton. It says according to one veteran political consultant, Trump is uh, says worried that it. I don't know if he's worried, but uh, that this has Bolton's fingerprints all over it. It makes sense when you think about it. Uh, Bolton has been vocal and critical regarding a whole slew of foreign issues since being mm-hmm. fired from his normal uh, national security advisor position. Bolton has yeah. blathered on about grave and growing threats of North Korea's nuclear uh, weapons program. He claims that Jim Jong-un will never give up his nukes, which is a swipe against President Trump, who's attempted to use friendship, in quotes, and diplomacy to reason with the North Korean madman. Um, uh, then, during an event at Gatestone Institute, Bolton said inviting the Taliban to Camp David was a terrible idea and slammed Trump for uh, being dis- disrespectful to the 9-11 families. He also said pursuing a peace deal with the Taliban didn't make any sense. Of course, he had to say that. Then, okay, and then they're just they giving their own opinion about him. Uh, but that's one person's uh, you know, thought if, if maybe Bolton – and it wouldn't surprise me. I mean this is the deep state, you know, and, and Trump has unfortunately, you know, I, I think unfortunately he has you know, surrounded himself with, with, you know, especially Bolton with people who he thought maybe he could trust and, and, 
and they did have some uh, credentials, but I think, you know, turned around and just been part of the deep state to, to kind of stab him in the back. I wonder who recommended him for that position that he held. Well, who, who knows? Maybe Ryan's previous. I mean, Rint, uh, <laughs> when he was on. <laughs> yeah, he did leave. Well, I'm glad he's gone. But. Yes, yes. He was a total uh, warmonger. I mean, any any chance to try and turn it into something bigger than it was. And when Trump didn't listen, like he said, he went around um, saying the opposite as far as what Trump should have done. So, yeah, it could be him. could be. I was trying to think of who who else um, has a beef against him. Of course, there's a lot in the FBI, but um, yeah. as far as intelligence goes, they're they're right. they're it's it's sad that that basically he can't trust his intelligence or his agencies, uh, his FBI agency, to um, to do the right thing, to do their job, and instead they're working against him. I mean, why would the I the IG clear it? and say it was credible, I don't understand. I mean, you talked about on your last show that uh, they had changed policy, and now some, now they're saying it was just reworded, but it always meant that they accepted, you know, hearsay and third-party information and this and that, but I don't know. I guess we uh, won't know. Well, I mean, and that's a good segue to remember um, that you know, we've talked about this briefly on the show last week um you know but remember there was where there was a change uh you know intel uh, community secretly gutted requirements of first-hand whistleblower knowledge uh so they've actually changed that so that for you know secondhand uh you know or basically hearsay uh can be you know used in uh, a, a, a complaint which it, it wasn't like that but interesting enough it, it's been changed to be able to. It's been changed to be able to do that. Yeah, and is that what made the IG accepted as credible because the policy change? You know, there's a question. You know, it makes me wonder. You know, if if the IG. Um, well, I think there's another thing here. Let's see. Let me find it. It's on the. Um, yeah, it said, did the Inspector General help the whistleblower try to frame Trump, and. Um, it says after Donald Trump uh, released the transcript of his July 25th, 2000, we read the full transcript last week, if you called, did some analysis mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And it said, uh, so, uh, President Trump, uh, the whistleblower, um, okay. I'm going to start all over from it. It says after Donald uh, Trump released the transcript of his July 25th, 2019 telephone conversation, with Ukraine President Vladimir Volensky, the left's whistleblower plot began to crumble. No Trump-denic condition for subsidies on Ukraine investigation, investigating Hunter Biden, son of former Vice President and Presidential candidate Joe Biden, and no Trump-denic raised the question some eight times. Then came the declassification of the whistleblower's actual complaint against the president, which made clear the still unnamed intelligence officer was peddling nothing but gossip and hearsay seasoned with several factual falsehoods. This further exposed the Ukraine uh, purse-string hoax as a resistance or sequel to the failed Russia collusion. I'm trying to get back where um, – you know, so here we go. It says, according to law, uh, 
this is not an urgent concern. On October 20th, 1998, remember, but also in 1998, Bill Clinton signed a, a treaty with the Ukraine okay, to actually work with uh, the Ukraine and sharing information for, for crime. <laughs> so it was actually something in 1998 that was a treaty with the Ukraine to, to work uh, together in yeah. cooperation against corruption and crime. Right, right. Well, I know that the IG was in a committee hearing, and the answers that he was giving, he was hum-hawing around and being very, very careful with his words. And as though he were, I don't know, when they asked him about the whistleblower's um, complaint, he gave him answers, and my husband and I were watching this, and we were like, okay, he's hiding something. He doesn't want to say something. He knows it's not credible. And he was just being very evasive. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a whole cabal. <laughs> You know, I mean, as as hesitant and resident to resident in, in saying that, but it's it's a cabal, and, and that's why I think they're, uh, you know, trying to get Trump because he's exposing it like he said he would. And when he said, "I'm going to drain the swamp," I mean, this is the kind of stuff that he meant that he was going to do, and I think they're coming, you know, coming after him. And you know, not only I think, uh, you know, the talk about collusion makes you wonder. Uh, you know, because I got this. Now, this is actually from the New York Post. So this was in, uh, this is interesting. It's a real short, uh, you know, article here. It says, uh, had China's trade negotiations been acting in bad faith all along? Perhaps. After all, Beijing has a long history of duplicitous behavior. But I think the real reason that China backtracked is named Joe Biden. The former vice president had just ended months of speculation over his political future. By announcing he was running for president on April 25th. Uh, now this, okay, this is more. It is a recent article. It says, uh, let's see. Oh, I actually started in the wrong spot. I apologize. It says, oh well, it says six months ago the Chinese walked away from the trade negotiations. They move, uh, the move nearly caught everyone by surprise. After all the talks have been going on with increasing intensity almost since President Trump took office, and they had made significant progress by early 2019. But uh, by March, the draft trade agreement had reached an impressive 150 single-space pages. In it, the communist regime promised to abandon many of its predatory practices, from currency manipulation and theft of intellectual property uh, to the forced transfer of technology and its secret subsidies to its high-tech companies. Beijing even appeared ready to back these uh, promised structural changes by agreeing to actually enforce provisions similar to those imposed on North Korea. The draft called for heavy penalties to be imposed on Chinese companies or levied on China itself if the agreement was volatile. Uh, The cable that arrived in Washington late on Friday, May 3rd, everything changed. The draft agreement had been gutted. Section after section had been crossed out. Americans who saw Solid said that Beijing was reneging on nearly all of the concessions they had made early. And that's where the art, where I started, where it said that China's trade negotiations have been acting in bad faith all along. And then they're saying that basically Joe Biden, you know, they thought Joe Biden was going to be the, you know, maybe be the president. 
So the Chinese blew up the negotiations a few days later. So basically a few days after, uh, you know, in May, when Biden announced he's being running for president. And uh, let's see. Oh, where is it at? Did I miss that? Anyway, sorry about that. It says uh, they had decided to run out the clock on President Trump's first term, convinced that they would get a much better deal from a future President Biden. And who can blame them? Biden has a long history of being a friendly voice for U.S.-China relations. The Chinese side had every reason to expect that Biden, like Obama, would turn a blind blind eye to the theft of American jobs, factories, and intellectual property. But an increasing arrogant and rapacious RPRC, People's Republic of China. They mm-hmm. probably even hoped that he, in return for a few empty promises, that would quickly set aside Trump's tariffs and were crippling the Chinese economy. But Beijing had another reason to bet on Biden. They had, uh, they had given sweetheart deals to his son, Hunter Biden. As Peter Schweitzer had documented in his book, Secret Empires, the vice president took his son, son along on Air Force Two when he flew to Beijing in December 2013. Not long after the father and son duo returned to the U.S., Hunter Biden's small firm received a $1 billion private equity deal from the Chinese government. This was later increased to a cool $1.5 billion. As Schweitzer wrote, the Chinese government was literally funding a business that it co-owned along with the sons of two Americans' most powerful decision-makers. Now you see why Beijing's leader were convinced they had a Joe Biden in their pocket, or at least their pocketbook. So basically they thought, you know, hey, Biden gets elected, and he was the, you know, the front-runner. And remember, they probably pay a detention foolishly enough um, – foolishly enough uh, to uh, believe <laughs> those American polls, <laughs> which were all showing that Biden – uh, could beat Trump in 2020, mm-hmm. which frankly I don't think any of them can uh, at this point. Now, will people get like um, you know investigation boredom syndrome, or you know you, you know and and then uh, you know try to vote for Democrats? They you know as, as you said, uh, says that they're tired of you know all this investigations. I mean, who knows? I mean. You know, after four years, I mean, are people wanting to do it for that many years? But we're going to have to stay tough. People are going to have to stay tough, or they're going to be stuck with someone like a uh, Elizabeth Warren. And, oh my gosh, you know. Well, it's really tough when you have um, mainstream media, news media that people listen to, you know, on a regular basis. They catch it, you know, after dinner or before they go to bed, and um, the news that they're fed. You know, it just backs up everything that the Democrats are saying, and they do everything in their power to discredit any actual truthful information, you know, that has come out, even though there's documents and everything else that prove otherwise as far as the corruption um, that goes on, and they're not all innocent and ongoing dealings and whatnot. Uh, they they turn a blind eye because they figure they're being lied to. And it's like, how can you be lied to? There's documents. There's documented evidence. <laughs> it's not talk talk. <laughs> but, um, well, mainstream media is saying, everybody in the media is saying it. So why would they be saying it if it wasn't true? <laughs> right. Well, well, and again, I mean, coming. you know, you, you had, you had, uh, 
you know, you had the you had the the Chinese, you know, again probably thinking that, oh yeah, we got uh, they're believing those polls, you know, those U.S. polls that Biden's gonna you know probably beat Trump. Mhm. But the mainstream media, as far as well, they haven't really talked about his uh, ongoings with China, but with Ukraine. They're saying, well, it was already looked into, and nothing came of it, and so Trump is just trying to deflect and distract when he was the one, you know, he knows what he said, Nancy Pelosi in her um, uh, press briefing this morning. Couldn't even say what it was that he did. She said, I had a phone call with him, and he admitted to doing what he did. I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) what was that? (laughs) So, Yeah ridiculous and people take that you know as gospel but then others that are just tired of hearing it knowing you know full well but there's nothing there I can see how they could be tired of it all and I hope that they don't give up I mean as far as that goes that would mean that uh, that we would have to flip the house again <laughs> again <laughs> well I, I mean and, and, with, with, well that's a good call I mean well, you know, and elections have, you know, elections have consequences to the Obama put, right? And the th- the thing the the thing of the matter is is that the at the house if the Democrats didn't win the House of Representatives, I don't think we'd be having nearly you know, as much of, of what we're hearing without this talk about impeachment. I mean, they that right. I mean they got the house, you know, they were convinced that the people this is what the people wanted because I mean they're talking about it. You know, I mean, through 16 and 17, and when 2018 mm-hmm. hit, you know, and then they won the House, which, I mean, that's how the pendulum swings, if you can, if you can believe it, you know, and then, you know, historically, you know, that's how it goes. I mean, I don't know, there was a lot of, well, and, and I mentioned, I was actually doing some campaigning this weekend for some local, uh, some local candidates uh, here, in, here in my area, and, you know, they were talking about, you know, you know about how the they they got the House of Representatives back, and how they they the Democrats flipped, uh, you know, districts that voted for for Trump in you know 2016, mm-hmm. but then voted for you know the Democrat in there. Now remember, these were states that were originally blue, okay, mm-hmm. where Trump flipped some of their districts, and but remember, they he flipped he flipped their district. Uh, and I think that's indicative of two things. Well, three things really. One is just shows how horrible of a candidate that Hillary Clinton, you know, Hillary Clinton was. Yeah. That either right. people didn't vote for her, or they actually voted for Donald Trump. Um, two is that, uh, you know, I think not my guy or not my gowism. Okay, I think that that's a big thing. Um, Actually, and that's the biggest one. Let me go back to that one. That's number three. Number two is that these people, you know, always oh, we, we'd be bipartisan. You know, we'll work with you know the president. You know, basically yeah. lying to the American people, saying that they'd work with them. You know, trying to uh-huh. act like they're moderates, right? Mm-hmm. In order to get elected. And then three is not my, you know, not my representative. So basically, they think, oh, all those other representatives suck. But mine don't, you know. So they're loyal to their their representatives. So these states and districts that were already blue, you know, or, or at least they were blue before they voted for Trump, turned right back mm-hmm. to their old ways once, you know, once the election for the House of Representatives came back. 
Uh, and that's what yeah. I think. I think that's why those those, those three things is why I think that happens. I worry that um, as far as the uh, upcoming election goes and, and uh, people that are going to be replaced in the House, or they may stay, I don't know. But hopefully they won't, the rhinos anyway, and, and that we don't get any more rhinos in there. Taking the house and still wouldn't do us any good <laughs> if that were the case. If they outnumbered, yeah, the but I mean, well, yeah, that's I mean, and, and that's a big, right? Yeah, that's a lot of ways true. But when I mean, we got a representative here, Rob Portman, I'm very disappointed in him. Uh, I mean, he voted to you know rescind Trump's emergency declaration. And I'm like, you know, if we wanted, you know, in Ohio, if we wanted a Democrat, we would have freaking voted for one. You know, so if you're going to just vote with the Democrats or side with the Democrats, why the hell did we put you in office in any way in, instead of yeah. putting in a Democrat? Yeah. If you're going to vote with a Democrat, well, I mean, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> why don't you change your voter registration to what you really are, <laughs> a Democrat? Yeah, and, and there's also, you know, this report that, you know, oh, well, you know, if the, uh, you know, I don't know if it was real, but I think there's a Republican who stated, that oh well if there was a private in the Senate if there was a private vote and they know they couldn't do it anyway because you know you, you just can't have those but if there was a private vote thirty thirty of the Republicans in the Senate would vote for impeachment now two things one <laughs> uh, you know e- even if that's true that'd be political suicide you know yeah, and there's five and, or six Democrats that won't even vote for the impeachment so <laughs> they can't even get their whole entire party to vote for it. Well, and now, I mean, and, and now speaking of impeachment, while I'm thinking about it, is that you know you, you're starting. And remember, I and you remember I mentioned this a long time ago when a lot of this stuff started happening, and um, is that there are they're starting to attack. You know, they're starting to attack Pence now. Not a lot, but you're starting to hear some whispers of them starting to attack Pence. Really? And I said a long time ago, yeah, that you know. The, 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 I said a long time ago that they're not they're not going to be happy with just trying to get, you know, to, well because look, I mean, I mean, yeah, they're going to go. They, for they hate Pence. That they may hate Pence worse than they they would hate Trump because Trump, <laughs> Pence is even more conservative than Trump is, especially when it comes to uh, social issues. True, he's not as bold though, so they probably think that they could just you know run roughshod over him. Well, yeah, that, that's true. Well, and that you know that you know, that is true. I mean, he, he's he's not, um, and but of course that's a part and partial why Trump got elected because of, you know, uh, of how he is. At least that's mm-hmm. what that's what I think. Yeah. Yep. Well, he had to choose him. He had to choose somebody to, that appealed to those type of voters. You know, as far as really strict conservative. Mm-hmm. Politically, strategy. Strategically wise, it was a good choice, but um, in this position that we're in now. But you know what? The Senate's not going to vote for impeachment, so I'm not really worried about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as worried about. Yeah, you know, I'm not as, as worried about impeachment, really. I mean, my my thing is, uh, I mean, I'm more concerned about what you said earlier. You know, with with like the independents, is they may mm-hmm. they, they they may just vote for the Democrats just because they're tired of all this BS that they're throwing out. You know, I mean, that, 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 that's actually, I, I actually have a bigger concern about that than anything that's else. But, you know, I, 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 we do have a it, Skype curler on. I think it might be our friend John. Let me get him in. Again, okay. I'm, I'm probably not going to go much more 
you know, unfortunately, then then my late. I mean, I've, I'm actually normally I work late tomorrow. Well, I do. I'm still working late tomorrow. I work from like one fifteen to ten. But normally, after I drop my daughter off to school, I come home, take a little nap, and that. But that's not going to happen tomorrow. I'm actually have to uh, uh, still get up at uh, about six thirty uh, a.m. and then we got a contractor come coming tomorrow, so I got to I got to stay up for. That. <laughs> Stay up for that, and then and then go into work. So no 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 power nap before work uh, tomorrow. So tomorrow's gonna be quite the long day. So I probably won't do yeah. much more than uh, than our than our regular time. But um, but let's go ahead and uh, I believe we got John in the line. So let's see. Um, so thank you very much uh, for coming in. We'll let him in because I know they're still having some problems getting people in. So oh, that one didn't work. Let's try it again. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It says that you're not in, but go ahead. Yeah, it's a weird system. I think everybody's having problems. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, yeah, there's a lot of problems tonight. I was lucky to, you know, to, to get what I, you know, what I, what I was able to tonight. So certainly up to admit on one of my better shows, but <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get yeah. trying to get something out there. But go ahead. Yeah, I noticed there was problems even Monday and Tuesday trying to deal with other shows. Well, in respect oh, wow. to what you're talking about on this tonight, um, really, in my humble opinion, in addition to everything you guys have already said, because it's all validly true in my opinion, is that this deep state group of uh robber barons or, you know, captains of industry, however you want to label them, they're just manipulating the system, king of the hill, in my opinion, for a takedown. And, I mean, if you think about all the different hands that are playing and how they're keeping all this stuff going, not only what you guys were talking about, but whenever you consider the volatility in the stock market, how it's been just you know, up and down large swings within the last several months. And then you have all the corporate debt on top of the personal debt, on top of the government debt. And then you start looking at the doggone delays, you know, like the discrepancy um, on late payments and stuff like that. And, you know, looking into the records of the, Bureau of Labor Statistics and the census report and stuff. I mean, I'm just like the people that are the puppet masters, so to speak, are trying to water down the law and turn us into a third world country where you can just use innuendo and um, hearsay and rumors as a basis of starting any kind of investigation when if you look up federal rules of civil procedure, federal rules of criminal procedure, federal rules of appellate procedure, federal rules of evidence, code of judicial conduct, code of professional responsibility, all these different protocols and uh, syntax, if you will, that we were supposed to be going by in order to make sure that we upheld our fourth amendment rights, even to, you know, like these investigations. That's why we got probable cause and antitrust and insider trading laws, because these people in our government are using our ignorance against us. 
And then, like you were mentioned earlier with the Atlantic Council and some of these other different groups, you know, Council on Foreign Relations, the Brookings Institute, and AEI, you know, American Enterprise Institute, Cato Institute, all these different groups, Center for Strategic and International Studies, and, you know, all these USAID-type groups and whatnot, they all get a lot of their funding or partial parts of their funding through the United States government and all of those people that are connected to them are world-governing corporatists. They are corporatists at heart, and they hope to be able to get that exclusive governing control over the whole world. And how do you manipulate that and bring in the world power through the U.N.? You get the major um, superpower in the countries to be either, you know, fascist, and lock down all their um, peoples, or you get them to be communist like China and whatnot and lock down all the people. So then the oligarchy of small percentage people that are in the position of power can manipulate and control them. And I don't know if you guys are aware, but um, Edward Snowden just released a new book called uh, Permanent Record, and it's, you know, I know you know who Edward Snowden is, and... uh, Permanent record is the new book, but we ought to be looking at all these guys, Daniel Ellsberg, Thomas Drake, William Benning, Russell Tice, Julian Assange, John Kirikow. I mean, even Bradley Manning, or he goes by Chelsea Manning, I guess, now he had a surgery. And John Guanadalo, I mean, all these, Phil Haney, there's tons of these people that's already been in our system, and they've tried to warn us in so many different ways, and most of them have lost their means of being able to make a life for themselves. And they've sacrificed more than anybody else on the planet. And um, here we have all these people, even Trump, you know, wanting to – find out who this whistleblower is and stuff. Here's my problem with that. He def- I don't have a problem with him wanting to find out who it is. I have a problem with the fact that we are not being sensitive to the fact that these groups, this oligarchy of dictators that's continually getting elected at every administration since, you know, 1800 they continue to get in there and use this secrecy classification, top secret, secret access program, as a cloak so they can hide and do their malicious mischief when we all are equal joint owners in governing. And so, therefore, as equal joint owners of our own business governing, we as the business owners get to look into any and all details to make sure that the company is operating above board and as it should be, as opposed to using our name and dragging us through the mud and putting us through more wars and stuff. Well, now they're using this situation with Trump and like they did with Kavanaugh um, hearings and the um, who was the other justice guy, Gorsuch. It seems like everything, the Russian investigation and everything, is all about trying to manipulate people to be thinking like you can just go to court on any old thing, but they're going to always use their access to the data because they're doing these backroom deals with these contracts, with these technology companies. I'm not talking about just Google and just Facebook.
Facebook and what I'm talking about any company out there that data mines anything, whether it be your driver's license information, whether it be your cable company, your utility company, they're making money on the side. You gotta watch for these companies nowadays too that they'll put an ad in the paper just to get you to apply because every time you apply they know that's the most current information on your social security number and all your information about who you are and where to get in contact with you, and then they put the, they work that through the fusion centers with all of the uh, fusion centers, the FBI and the CIA across America. There's approximately 78 of them, and these people have direct access to those databases where you and I and the majority of us don't. And they they put it up as a front to say, oh, we're doing all this for your safety and whatnot. They're not doing this for our safety. They're doing all this stuff to give them more massive control and be able to manipulate the situation for them own, their own self to control it. And they want to try to have a controlled riot and uprising in America so that way they can justify the blue coats with the um, UN and whatnot to come over under martial law to take care of it. They just want to try to do it in a way by manipulating the stock market and all this other stuff to make people feel so um, anxious about their own stability. They want to try to control it so it doesn't get out of control for them to manage. But they definitely want things to still happen just to – it's hard to explain because I'm not Mr. – I'm not great at being a speaker and explaining this stuff. I'd rather be the nerd in the background doing all the research. But anyway, I feel we got to come out and deal with this stuff. And the people that work in the CIA and the NSA, like the people I mentioned before, these people have already been there, done that, and they're tr they came out and tried to warn us, and they're still trying to warn us the best they can without themselves feeling like they're going to get killed. And we all got to try to figure out how to help Trump or at least stop him from being used as a puppet. They're, play, they're playing him as far as I'm concerned, and they're getting everything they want, and we are not, and they're manipulating him like a fiddle. But anyway, that's just food for thought and where I'm coming from on it, and it's it don't look like it's going to get better until we really all figure out how to join together to stop it and this is one of the best ways to do it is what you're doing, Rob. You're one of the best web radio host people I know, and I appreciate it. Now, I'm not saying that just to get on your good side, because believe me, if I disagree with you, you know we're going to still butt heads. And oh, I know reason, we do. <laughs> the only reason yeah, I, I wish we could add a, always push it. Let yeah, I was going to add a, you know, a, more, a, a, more, a, a more content intensive show tonight. Uh, it just, and I think I probably would, could have been able to get on earlier, um, and, and maybe hadn't. I mean, but I'm not getting that pop up anymore that they're, uh, you know, not having any other problems. So it's it's okay. But unfortunately, I'm actually already at the time where I have to close uh, close up shop. Uh, oh, so uh, I, I know. So I mean, for me to make my time. I mean, I actually have plenty of time, you know, to even do the show. But I've I've had a long day today and long. Long day tomorrow. I apologize for that, but uh, but go ahead. Uh, do that, and then I'll, I'll close things think, close things out. Okay. Go I ahead. just wanted to address John. Uh, hi, John. Let's do that. I just wanted to say I did see Edward Snowden's book and I saw an interview with him, and it was very interesting. Um, you know, to hear what he had to say, and I'd like to get his book. But um, one good thing that um, that you might 
put hope on is that uh, the president is now speaking and consulting with um, um, DeGeneva, which is fr- he's friends with Bill Binney. And so that's a good thing. Before we couldn't get him in there, I mean, they were, they were uh, directed to Pompeo to talk to him, and then Pompeo was to relay whatever they said to the president. But now the president is consulting directly with um, uh, DeGeneva. So that's a good thing. Now, one thing I've noticed also, I mean, and I know uh, Twitter's just a microcosm, uh, but I tell you what, you know, I may have stated earlier tonight, is that, you know, I follow Kamala Harris, so I follow Adam Schiff, you know, AOC, you know, you want to see what those folks are saying. But also, more importantly, is I want to see the people, what the people are responding to them. Um, and, and I know it's elite, you know, more so Kamala Harris than Adam Schiff, is that, you know, they're not silent. I mean, I would say the majority, or at least half, most of the time, that I see the responses to, you know, the likes of Kamala Harris and Adam Schiff is people are, people are, uh, they're hitting back. I mean, they're hitting back. So, I mean, I think people are realizing how much BS this is and what the, and what they really are all about. So, I mean, that, that gives me some hope. I mean, that gives me some hope that, yeah. you know, the people are like, look, we're sick of it. And we're not going to let you bully us. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, you know, bullying was talked about a lot. Oh, bullying, bullying, how about, you know, and, and it is. Bullying's horrible. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's what I think they're told. I think they're trying to bully him. Uh, but uh, well, one, one, one last thing, it's 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 not um, – I'm just going to – go ahead. Uh, go ahead, John. Yeah, one of the aspects of all this that really irritates me is whenever they talk about doing these investigations and you think about probable cause, and I've said this before, I don't remember if it was on this show or not, but they continue to circumvent the predication process of the affidavits that are submitted to the courts to find out if they even have probable cause. And as long as none of the people that are even Republicans in all these sessions that come to the floor, whether it be, you know, whatever sessions they were meeting, what was this last guy they had in there that was Trump's manager for a while, Lewandowski? Mm-hmm. And that was his last name, Corey Lewandowski. But anyway, Corey Lewandowski. any of these meetings on the on the Russian investigation or Corey Lewandowski or any of them that I've seen, I watch a lot of C-SPAN, they never, ever bring up the actual predication processes. They always attack it from some other aspect. And I'm like going, you guys are throwing out the, the fruit of the poisonous tree. You're throwing out the article, I mean, uh, Amendment 4, unreasonable search and seizures, you know, the insider trading and the, the uh, antitrust issues. That's what gave us the right to have protection from those that work in the government, and they weren't supposed to database and data mine your information. And are, so I'm like thinking the doggone all of the people in Congress are a part of the, the they might be a factionist group, but they still want one world corporate governing power, and they don't really care about reestablishing the um, the foundations of the true rule of law. Thank you. Yep, the Republicans well, kind of stand by and say that their hands are tied and they'll get on these shows and talk about everything that's wrong, but then they don't do anything about it. Well, and that's my big concern. I was actually thinking about that the other night is, you know, we're, we're going to uh, 
we're going to have all these investigations, right? And, and remember, you're hearing this phrase, and I know you've heard this, uh, and I, I think I have a show titled Investi- Time to Investigate the Investigators. I know I did a show that was titled like that or something like it, and I talked about that long time ago. And, and now you're hearing that. Oh, it's time to investigate the investigators. Like, hmm, I wonder where they got that. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, my concern is is uh, we're going to hear, you know, we're going to have all these investigations, and and Barr's going to do this. And and I think, and I hope it wasn't uh, the whole thing with. Um, Oh, I'm trying to see. I, I can't remember the guy's name. He's been out of the news, uh, are, you know, already so quickly. Yeah, Epstein. The, the, oh, the way Epstein. things happen with Epstein makes me concerned that uh-huh. they're going to have all these investigation, 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 and there's not going to be any pro- – you know, no one's going to be prosecuted. No one's going to yeah. go to prison. No one's going to get in trouble. Nothing's going to happen to anybody except mm-hmm. that, ooh, they have to answer to their crimes where – what, they got to apologize? They got to just admit what they did? I mean, or something yeah. actually going to happen? My concern is, is that they're going to have all this investigation stuff, and absolutely nothing's going to happen. Rob, yeah, could they actually murdered the you. whistleblower and blame it on Trump now? They set Trump up to bl- now they could they put the whistleblower out there to try to frame Trump. Now because of the things that Trump said, because of Trump's personality, they murdered the whistleblower and blame it on Trump. Well, well, when was this? I'm just saying that is one of the possibilities now. Oh, I thought you said that did happen. (laughs) Whoa, I thought you said, like, whoa, where'd you get that from? Exactly. Uh, We were just talking, my husband and I were talking about that whole, just what you were talking about, uh, Robert, that these reports that are going to come out after all these investigations, and basically it's a slap in the face to the American people because it's going to say who did what, and then that's it. So we know who did what and who was corrupt, but these people have resigned or, or were uh, fired, and they're gone home writing books, being on CNN and MSNBC and going on with their lives. In the meantime, the American people know that all this went on, and, and we got nothing out of it except for an expensive report and investigation that led to no arrest, you know? So Yeah, so it's like, yeah, if, if, if nothing's going to happen there, then, then who cares? Yeah, something something yeah. real doesn't happen from it. Who really cares? Well, Tom Fitton recently was on Fox News, and he was talking about a document he just um, acquired from a document dump um, that he uh, filed a FOIA request for. And in that document dump was a memo that talked about um, Rodenstein and uh, oh, I forget what the other guy's name was, uh, McCabe, about wiring, you know, wearing a wire and trying to get the president to say something incriminating or whatever. Well, the American people were told that it was just a, a discussion at the water cooler and it was just kind of laughed off the discussion and there was really no intent behind it. But Tom Fitton has a memo that talks about it, you know, but the Congress will never see that because Congress isn't going to, you know, ask for, for those documents. And, and Tom Fitton has a memo that actually had that plan in motion between the two. So we thought that was interesting as far as, oh, there was a memo. Okay, wow, a memo, not just a discussion by the water cooler. What the hell? <laughs> so, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that people aren't going to, you know, pay for. And that that right there I would consider a treasonous act against the president to try and set him up a blatant one if there's an actual documentation about their plan rather than just a discussion that they were just joking around about it. 
that that should be something. But again, nothing will come of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of my um, that's kind of my big concern is that you know we're going to get through all this hoopla. We're going to spend hours and hours and hours talking about it, hearing about it on the on the you know on the news, hearing about it. You know, let's be honest, talking about it uh, on the shows, and then no one's going to there's got there's not going to be any punishment, uh, any yeah. no punishment at all for it. Is my concern. I think Jim yeah. Jordan and Doug Collins are the only two people I've heard that says anything to like Jerry Nadler or some of these other um, chairmen of these different subcommittees that said, "Hey, this is not the right procedure, the right protocol, and you know processes we're supposed to get." Them are the only two people that even came close to trying to reestablish any footing of the rule of law, and I was like, "Going, man, as long as this is all just you know talk." And nobody actually, everybody else kind of just lets it happen and stuff. They're all, they're all culprits colluding to defraud the people and using Donald Trump as the scapegoat, or Donald Trump just playing the part for them on behalf of them because he used to be a part of them. And I just can't put my finger on it yet. I, I don't think, in my opinion, anyway. I don't think he's uh, playing along. I think that um, he's doing what he can to work against them the best that he can with what he has and, and the tools at his disposal. And, uh, you, know, you know, as far as he doesn't care if they all jump on him with the media, you know, he speaks out, speaks back, and and uh, thank God anyway that he's bold enough to do that. And, I again, I don't think um, I don't think he's working with them. And I say that just because he has a lot invested in this country is, you know, with his business as well as his, you know, love the country. So we'll see, I guess. And with that, folks, I'm going to have to uh, to, to close things out. Uh, you know, again, so was, there wasn't a, <laughs> as much uh, uh, in the show, uh, but, you know, it's one well, that happens technical difficulties, and uh, there's still years to come. Uh, but anyway, I, before I go, I do want to, uh, you know, I, you know, address uh, today would have been uh, my mother's 84th birthday. Not today, yesterday actually, because it's after midnight here, uh, Eastern Time, but October 2nd. Uh, just putting that out there. Yeah, miss you, mom. Love you. And who knows? Maybe one day in the universe we'll we'll meet again. I, I hope so. I miss her dearly. Dearly. Um, it's. Uh, Happy Missing birthday. her is one of the reasons why I don't want to have a heart. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> I appreciate everybody coming to the show. Uh, but I will close out tonight, uh, even on this abbreviated version, as I do every night. And that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And she's not doing much music anymore. She's doing art. And uh, I looked at getting some pieces. And they're not very cheap. But anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone, folks. And uh, we'll see you next time. I uh, hope you have a good night. Mm-hmm.